The following production was originally produced by Cath 910AM, the Guadalupe Radio Network. And 32 minutes after the hour now, good news program here on KTH 910AM, Guadalupe Radio Network. Everything just going smoothly so far. And as I mentioned, I, you know, I have a, I have a degree from the University of Dallas, a master's degree. My sister got a bachelor's degree. I, I think if I had had more sense when I was uh, 18 years old, I, I would have gone to UD as an undergraduate. But hey, that's, you know, that's water under the bridge. Uh, great school, great university. Delighted to have in studio with me the dean of the Constantine College of Liberal Arts, which is basically the whole undergraduate program. And professor of philosophy, uh, Dr. Jonathan Sanford, and uh, he joins me in studio about a, a month or a month and a half ago. He and my friend Ellen Rossini, who's in the development office, came to talk about uh, ways that we could collaborate between UD and the GRN. And we came up with this idea of having a regular segment on the Good News program every fourth Monday, where Dr. Sanford comes in as he's able, and hopefully it's every every month. And uh, he, he he books the guest, and he talks to the guest, and I kind of chime in. So, Dr. Sanford, thanks for uh, coming. Now, I'm excited to see how this all uh, turns out today and in the future as well. Well, so so am I, Dave. And it's such a pleasure to be on this program. It's such a pleasure to partner with CATH 910 and the Guadalupe Radio Network. The, the University of Dallas really is focused on reviving culture, Catholic culture in particular, in particular. And a lot of people don't realize that we, we are the, the Catholic University of North Texas. And the, the name, I think, throws people off sometimes, mm, right? Yeah, so, sounds secular, University right, of Dallas yeah. sounds like a, a secular university, but no, in fact, we're, we're a Catholic university and Bishop Burns, we're so excited to have him, uh, of course, as our, our shepherd of the diocese, but he's also the chancellor of the board of trustees of the University of Dallas and, and he's very concerned about the Catholic identity and seeing the University of Dallas continue to do the great work that it does. So this, this program, the, the idea here is to find some way not just to educate the students Students who are on our campus, but we thought, aren't there some ways in which we can reach out to the the, the lay Catholics um, and others who might be listening to to the radio program right now, and and touch them with with some aspects of what we do. And after thinking about a way to do this, I, I thought, well, it might be a really good idea to focus on the virtues. We all need more virtue in our life, and mm-hmm. and what I mean by by a virtue, I mean a deep seated habit that is able to, to make us better and enables us to do our work well, right? So virtues allow us to, to have righteous actions, to be properly oriented in our, in our relationship with the Lord, but also in our relationship with, with others with whom we interact on a regular basis. And we've probably all heard of the cardinal virtues. Those are justice, prudence, courage, and temperance. And they're called cardinal, and this comes from a, a Latin term, and the, the term means hinge. That is to say the, the hinge on a door. So the, the cardinal virtues are the virtues that allow us to, to turn the doors of our lives well so that we, we live well. So we thought for the first four segments, I'll, I'll take a, a, a chapter out of, uh, St. Thomas's, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas's book and, and follow his, his setup. We're going to deal with the, the four cardinal virtues and then we'll talk about the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And then perhaps we'll return to the, the cardinal virtues again, uh, um, but with with new eyes, having reflected on the on the theological virtues, so well, let's. I thought uh, start with the virtue of of justice, and I'm very excited to have today on the program my colleague from the economics department, Dr. Aida Ramos. She's an associate professor of economics, and um, are you with us now, Dr. Ramos? Uh, yes, I am. 
Wonderful, wonderful. So I, I thought we'd begin with um, some kind of, of background. I, um, not all of our listeners may know what exactly an economist is. So you're an economist. Tell us, tell us what that is. <laughs> wow, that's a big <laughs> question. Um, you could get a whole degree exploring that question. An economist, in the way I define it, um, and this I feel is a definition that encompasses all the different fields and subfields of economics, is um, well, an economist is someone who studies how human communities provide for their wants and their needs. Um, for most of us in the developed world, our needs are met for the majority of people. That's not true of all people. But, you know, in the question of uh, how, what, the basic questions of what are we going to eat? How are we going to, how are we going to make that food? Uh, where are we going to live? It's, uh, just, even though it seems very mechanical and it can be, it is, it's about just very basic human questions. So what, what got you interested in that, in those questions? I mean, not, not just as an undergraduate student, but you received your PhD from the University of Notre Dame in economics. You've dedicated your career to this. You've been with us at the University of Dallas for over seven years now. You're an associate professor. So how, how, how did you get on this path where you say you're thinking about very simple, very basic questions, but what, what was the compelling interest for you? How, how did your passion get incited? You know, it really did start at the undergraduate level. I didn't, I avoided economics. I did not want to take it. Um, and my passion was excited just because I was forced to take it, but I had an excellent, excellent professor um, teaching it. And, and actually, all the professors I encountered in economics departments, both as an undergraduate and as, as a graduate, they were just really spectacular at their craft. But um I felt that economics had great power to address a lot of the issues that were important to me as a Catholic. Um, and, and one of the, the major ones was just the question of grinding poverty mm-hmm. um, and what to do about it. Because on a, on a very basic level in economics, if you're exploring that question, you're, you're just working through some basic models. And, yeah, and there are some fields, even some big fields of economics, that just say it's a matter of supply and demand and it's that's, just what it is it's like gravity you can't do anything about it but um you know that's that's not actually true and from a catholic standpoint that's not true mm-hmm. um and as i went through graduate school um i found that definitely there were two places where these bigger moral and social issues are explored and that's in development economics and in the history of economic thought mm-hmm. which uh, might also sound a bit I don't know, too philosophical to some people, but I really found that it is the, you know, the the big three founders of political economy, David Hume, Sir James Stewart, Adam Smith, they were exploring these deeper ethical questions. Economics started as a branch of moral philosophy for Smith. That's when he started his lectures. Um, And Stewart, coincidentally, uh, he really was approaching it from his background in jurisprudence. So... Um, just these bigger social questions were being addressed and had been addressed up until about the 19th century in our discipline right. um, when things started to explode. And, of course, that's when the church also put out Rerum Novarum to directly address these issues. Yeah, so so I, where, I, that, um, where a lot of the thought in economics matches up with my interest as a Catholic, it was in those two fields. So so I just ran with it, and that's what I specialize in, and that's what I've been teaching a lot at uh, at UD for the last uh, this is the start of my seventh year. Okay, great. Well, th- thanks for that correction. And, and um, I, I was wondering, you, you said that this might sound too philosophical. I, I don't think 
anything is possible that's too philosophical. But that's right. But let's let's return to this connection with Catholicism. I I know that you've got a a, um, a, a great interest in Catholic social teaching, and and you just began to talk about De Rerum Novarum and Pope Leo the Thirteenth, and of course we've had many many developments in Catholic social teaching since that time, and and um, in many respects De Rerum Novarum, although it was addressing some new things, um, it was an expression of the longstanding moral teaching of of the Church, and one could argue that Catholic social teaching really begins with the Book of Genesis, but um, bring these two things together. How, how exactly does economy, ec- uh, economic theory connect with Catholic social teaching? And um, what, what should we think about Catholic social teaching? What is that, as you understand it, from your, your point of view as an economist? Well, I would say that, unfortunately, a lot of mainstream, like the, the school of economic thought that dominates the field doesn't necessarily address these questions. Um, but the way in which Catholic social teaching connects to economics is that, well, economics, even though, again, so much of the um, the mathematics of it, it's very mechanical. Um, it, it really, at the heart of it, is about human beings and our relationship to each other. Mm-hmm. It's just in economics, it's about the economic realm. Mm-hmm. And so Catholic social thought, it, it reinforces that, that it's not just about, uh, you know, two people enforcing or engaged in a contract for an exchange of goods, that there are actually human beings behind those choices that are occurring. So it really does help to instruct us. It gives us a framework as to how we ought to conduct our economic lives. Um, that, you know, the economic realm, just like every other realm, our philosophical realm, whatever, it's it's not separate from our moral lives. It's supposed to be altogether if you are living an integrated life. Right. No, it, it seems as, as though we've become masters of compartmentalization and, and Catholic yes. social teaching really really does call us to live in this integrated manner. I, I love that way of describing it. The the uh, the question that that we're supposed to be talking about here eventually. I, I gave this little little prelude about the the cardinal virtues and justice. I thought we would begin with justice. We're we're uh, um, oriented towards justice. But what what do you take justice to be? And and I know that that's a big question um, in a way. That's that's the the founding question of Plato's Republic, and you can find it traced throughout history. But do do you have a um, a sort of a, a thumb? Um, nail sketch of, uh, of justice, uh, something that you pull out when you explain what, what you take justice to be to your students? Well, actually, I do because coincidentally, and I didn't really even mention this to you before, for the last three years I've been exploring this question from the perspective of jurisprudence and mm-hmm. what it was that, um, you know, the, the founders of political economy, what did they understand that to be? What exactly is it they're trying to do when they talk about justice? Um, but, you know, of course, having um, immersed myself in the compendium of the, uh, of the church, you know, the definition of the church is that it's giving others their due and giving God what is his due. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, in, from the jurisprudence tradition, um, which I did have to seek some help from some lawyers along the way when I was studying this over the past few years, um, what what was what ha, what has been taught in jurisprudence? It goes back to Justinian's Digest, Emperor Justinian, who codified a lot of law um, in the sixth century. Uh, his definition was uh, giving to others what is their due as citizens. Mm-hmm. So I would say, of course, the church's definition is superior to that because it's not just about 
who is a who is a Roman citizen or who isn't a Roman citizen. It's it's everybody. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, we have to remember to give God what is His due. So it's giving others their due as a human being. I always have to throw that in there just so that we're clear <laughs> when I teach the students that it's well. What what is it that we're that you know you are obligated or ought you to give to other people as a human being? Um, but no, that, mentioned... just, just just a quick comment. I mean, I I do think that mm-hmm. that's one of the the radical contributions of the church to western civilization that often gets overlooked right that that oh, the, the, the 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 scope of citizenship so to speak expands to everyone right it that mm-hmm. is to say those to whom one owes justice is indeed every single human being and and that is that is a tangible and remarkable inheritance of um catholic social teaching or or the, really the the recognition of of the the role that each one of us plays because of our our common kinship. Um, Do you mind if I jump in and ask a question real quick? Uh, so, is there no ele- no element of justice to dogs and cats, uh, or do we does that fall into the realm of the definition, or is that outside of what justice means? Well, I. I- um, do you mind I, if I take that, Dr. Ramos, or do you want to take that oh, that's first? That's fine, and then I have a thought uh, also that I could <laughs> okay. put in there. Wait, here, here's, here's a little simple distinction, and, and um, justice is a virtue. It's a personal mm-hmm. virtue, right? So if we're, if we're talking about being being just in the sense of, of having the virtue of justice, a dog, a cat uh, cannot be just because one requires a, a free will to be just, right? So Aquinas defines justice as the perpetual will to render to each his due. So the subject within the human person is the will. Justice resides in there. Now, we need to be just to dogs and cats. That is to say, we, we need to treat them as we should. And, and I, I would connect that to the notion of stewardship. Mm-hmm. And so you can find both a biblical foundation for that, but I also think a natural law foundation in which we recognize that we're to be good stewards of the earth. And certainly, if we've taken responsibility for a pet, then we have some additional obligations over and above um, the uh, uh, the obligation to just care for them. I, I saw a remarkable thing yesterday. I was in stuck uh, I was stuck in traffic. I was traveling from northern Indiana on a family vacation, and we were in Alabama. And I noticed a woman um, on the other side across the median, and I could do this because we were at a complete standstill. And she was carrying a dog, and um, I put it together. She was carrying a dog that she had hit. Mm-hmm. Um, her car was parked a little down the road, and I think that she stopped after she, perhaps herself or maybe somebody else, hit that dog, saw the dog was still alive, and uh, went and picked it up, and, and I assume that she called a, uh, some kind of veterinary clinic or, or what have you to, to try to um, give the dog its due. Right? She felt an obligation mm-hmm. there, and I would say she was acting justly. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I was going to also say the thing about stewardship, but Dr. Sanford said it much better than I, because I would have just said stewardship uh, and the goods of the earth, etc. Uh, but, you know, also interesting is that um, in one of the readings yesterday, I think it, it was in the first reading, and in a lot of the language of the church, but also the Bible, obviously, um, these two qualities of justice and kindness go together. And, you know, that is, that's, so if we are just, it almost goes alongside it that there is an element of mercy that should be there also. So in care and stewardship for the goods of the earth, that that should come into play. If you are properly ordered within yourself, um, because justice is, again, the church's um, requirement of us 
it, it's pretty stringent um, to be just to others, not only in your external actions, but you have to internally be thinking that this is what I want to do mm-hmm. and that uh, that you're willing yourself to do it, not doing it necessarily with a lot of, you know, not begrudging the other person and saying, okay, well, this is what you do, um, that you have to have an internal disposition to do it mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that's right. That's that's where you see the perfection of the will. There, you have to you have to intend that. Mm. Let let's let's dig into this um, uh, being doness a, a little bit more, if you don't mind. Um, mm-hmm. it, it seems as though in 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 some discussions of justice, we're we're just talking about um, the work of institutions. The you, you mentioned your your studies in jurisprudence and it con- its connection to to justice and economic theory. Um, but we're called to be just. It's a it's a personal virtue. How are we involved with, say, corrective justice as one of the, the kinds of, of justice that that which is dispensed by law courts and and judges is 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 that something that we participate in as well? This notion of corrective justice. And and then I, I, I want to talk perhaps in even more detail about distributive justice and and. Um, so I, I'm focusing on the two, what are sometimes called the parts of justice. So there's justice that's that's um, uh, inclusive of, of every virtue, that is to say, exercising the virtues for those in your community, and we connect that to the common good. But then we have these two particular types of justice, correcting what's wrong and restoring things that are stolen and the, and the like, and then the, the distribution of honors and goods and, and whatnot and, and, and how those are determined. So how, how do we... As as individual human beings participate in those those two parts of justice. Well, um, I mean, of course, I'm coming at this mostly from an economic perspective, but in our economic, well, any interaction we have with other persons, um, we have a choice to act justly or unjustly. Um, you know, like in in a very basic one that was covered thoroughly in Rerum Novarum, it has been reaffirmed uh, many times since then. Um, something as simple, well, it seems simple, a wage contract, but there are ways in which you can structure that contract justly towards your worker or unjustly. Um, and when you, and say you have a contract that's, that's perfectly fine, but, um, you know, we have responsibilities on both sides. Uh, workers also have a responsibility to act justly towards their employers. Um, Sellers, buyers and sellers have responsibilities to act justly towards each other. And, you know, in uh, the economics field, we tend to just, again, treat this as these um, immutable forces that are mechanical and they're outside of our <laughs> our human experience and they're just things that can't be overcome because people are self-interested, etc. Um, but, again, Catholic social teaching has a superior, I would say, approach to this because, it shows that we do have agency. We we have the ability to make choices about um, economic matters, whether it's the enforcing, the structuring of contracts, the enforcement of them, not cheating people in buying and selling, as Aquinas covered thoroughly in the Summa. Um, what it is that we invest in, um, also how it is that firms decide to structure the distribution of their you know dividends or. Um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine here last night, and uh, you know, in the manufacturing sector, just how how many closures, as you know, have happened in the Midwest. I'm here in northern Indiana as well. I'm at Notre Dame right now, um, and just workers who have, for instance, you know, dedicated their life to a company because they believed they were going to get their pensions past a certain age, and then they show up at the factory, and there has been no notification until that day that um, that it's closed. 
And so that would be an unjust situation. Um, I mean, just in in all of our large, and that's a very large example, but in our small day-to-day interactions with each other, we, if we're self-aware, have uh, the ability to to act with justice towards each other. Right, yeah. No, I mean, that's such a sad situation when that happens to, you know, oftentimes somebody who's at the age of 59 or so and, and they get dropped from the company. I've, I've heard many of those those sad stories. But you know, let's talk a little bit more about the day-to-day. So, you know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a father. Um, I, I feel as though I oftentimes have to dispense justice in the sense of, of <laughs> correction. Um, but but that's born from a, um, a kind of a sense or assessment of, of what's required in the situation. You and I work on the on the same ca- uh, campus. We have many colleagues. We have many students. How, how does justice enter the, the classroom, for instance? Or how does justice enter into your, your interactions with, with colleagues in a way that, that maybe our listeners can relate that to their, their own day-to-day lives? Well, um, well, definitely. I mean, with colleagues and students, um, I, I have a responsibility to to give them my time and my um, my attention, but not just in a you know <laughs> in a blasé kind of fashion. To be actively engaged with them, uh, but they you know, but they also have an obligation to or to not take advantage of that. And uh, luckily, most of them don't. But um, you know, and I, I have, it, it would be unjust, for instance, for me to, you know, to not teach up to the best of my abilities or to withhold information from my students, um, to not correct them sometimes when they need correcting. You know, if I would continue to let them have a wrong idea about something about economic theory or economic reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, there's a justice that can occur, that needs to occur in the classroom where you let everyone have their say within bounds of a particular topic. Um, actually, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Because <laughs> now I'm starting to think more about my classroom yeah, well, and <laughs> what happens in the classroom. Well, that, that's, that's only natural. Um, but but the, let, let's, let's um, think about something maybe we, we could pass on to our listeners. How, how can they think more constructively? What can they study, first of all, to, to learn more about Catholic social teaching and the relationship between Catholic social teaching and and economics, um, and then what what can they do um, in their their own lives? Well, I think two very um, accessible resources that uh, really summarize a lot of the church's teaching, at least on economic matters. Well, on all social matters, the Compendium of the Catholic Church, which you can find free online on the Vatican's website uh, in English or in Latin, um, but um, that that discusses the subject of justice. But it also goes through each a summary of each um, encyclical that has come out. Uh, the church's official statements on the different social matters, and um, it it just gives nice little summaries of um, the church's economic teaching. Mm-hmm. Also, in many years ago, I believe it was in 1986, uh, the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops released Economic Justice for All, mm-hmm. which explores uh, the e- economic teaching of the church in um, as it you know as it related to our situation in the United States at the time. But it really is just reaffirming again a lot of the Catholic social principles that uh, have been stated since Rerum Novarum, but you're right, they have right. been part of the church since the very beginning. And I think those are two great places to start. 
Um, and I, I would actually encourage people to to read more of the catechism on these issues and the compendium. Hey, uh, Doc, and, Dr. Ramos, I, I'm getting a signal here. Uh, you and I are both <laughs> you and I are both new to this, and and I need to pass off the the microphone to Dave. And let me just okay. before before I leave, thank you for being our our first guest on the good news at the University of Dallas, and, and thank again Dave and everyone at Cath 910. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed hearing all the information, Dr. Ramos. Thanks so much. I know you've been on the air with us before so thank you so much and i know our listeners enjoyed this as well so uh great talking to you thank you for having me back i didn't even realize we were almost out of time i'm sorry <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah yeah it goes quickly you know uh it's uh, but uh, no it was great great information great uh good listening to you and speaking with you uh, dr sanford thank you very much we're going to see you back uh fourth monday of uh uh, August? August 28th. We're going to talk about prudence and politics. Okay, great. And I was just going to point out, I know in the, even in the Summa, which y'all referenced several times, uh, the, of all the cardinal virtues, justice takes up the most space. And, uh, Thomas obviously had a lot to say about justice. So Absolutely. it's a very complex one, but it was very, very nicely, uh, discussed today. So thank you very much. And I appreciate you coming here to be part of the show. For more productions like this, you can visit us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching University of Dallas. Thank you for joining us. 